0: Thank you, Jim, for that introduction. Of all the introductions I've received, that is the most recent. Thank you. <laughs> you get a Bible, turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. We're going to be just all over the New Testament this evening or afternoon, whatever time of the day it is. Uh, I'm all discombobulated, I'm not used to getting up and doing this kind of stuff on a Saturday, but uh, I'll just I'll join with Eddie and express my appreciation. I I, I really really am very thankful for opportunities like this you know you you know you must be dealing with some folks who are serious about their christianity that are willing to get up early on a saturday morning and uh study god's word and and sing songs like this and so i'm thankful for that and i appreciate uh chris and and jim and all the work that they do in putting this together they it is just a labor of love for them they're not you guys don't get paid for doing this preachers get paid don't we okay okay just making sure uh but uh but yeah, I, I'm glad to get to be a part of this uh, once again. I want to give you a little bit of background as to kind of my motivation for the Topic that I've decided for us to think about for these next few minutes. Jim announced last night that uh, all the preachers are going to be preaching their very best sermons, and that's not necessarily the angle I was coming from when I was deciding what to speak on. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about about some parenting things. I knew in this audience we'd have a lot of folks who are very much in the middle of the parenting game right now. We've got some folks that are in the grandparenting business, and I know even for those of you that maybe don't have kids, uh, you have influence over kids. Maybe you teach a Bible class at the congregation where uh, you're. A member of, uh, or you're an uncle, or you're an aunt. And so, really, that's kind of where my mind was going. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, uh, at Lakeside this year, uh, the preaching theme for 2016 is actually on parenting. And so, once a month, I get to preach on some things about parenting. And so, my mind's kind of already going in that direction. But then, secondly, probably more importantly, I am a parent, and I have to remind myself of that sometimes. We're just now, you know, in the beginning stages of this. Our little girl is going to be two years old here in just a couple of weeks, uh, and so I'm always thinking, and my mind's just working overtime about that passage in Ephesians six, where it says that fathers are to train their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What a serious charge that is for fathers and for mothers uh, as well. Uh, and so I want to talk about something this afternoon that I hope will be be helpful. I hope it'll be some some practical things that you'll be able to take home, some things you'll want to be able to share with your kids in a way that's going to be on their level. And so, with that said then, let's read together in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 2. 2 Corinthians 12 and in verse 2, this is Paul writing. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. That's a passage that really captures our imagination, and it's a passage that discusses a subject that we love to talk about. It's a passage we love to think about, the idea of heaven going to heaven, seeing the things in heaven that this man saw. We've come to understand that this is probably Paul talking about himself here, talking about himself kind of in the third person here. The idea of seeing what's going on in heaven, God's abode, and what all that would be like. Of course, you know Paul is not the only person who's ever lived who at least claims to have went to heaven. In more recent times, probably the most popular example of somebody who claimed to have went to heaven is the people behind this little book. You've maybe seen that little yellow book before. Heaven is for real. That book is the alleged true story of a four-year-old named Colton Burpo who claims to have went to heaven for three minutes. And then he came back and back part of real life here on planet Earth to be able to tell his family and then to be able to tell others about the very vivid details of the things that he saw and the things that he experienced while he was in heaven. And there's a lot of different objectives when you read that book and actually there was a movie made about it just come out a year or two ago. You've maybe even seen that movie before. But the primary objective behind the idea of heaven is for real is to to compel faith in the hearts of those who would read that book or see that movie. Compel folks to understand that heaven is for real. That Jesus really is there and God is there and the saints of all time are there. And that you can be certain of all of that because, because this four year old boy told you so. Now I don't want to discourage anybody from seeing that movie or from reading that book. Kyle was just telling me yesterday that somebody actually got them uh, that book. And it's it's not my intention to try to demonize uh, that book or what's said in there. That's something you'll have to decide upon your own. It's a matter of personal conviction. In fact, I know of a lot of parents who have read that book with their kids or maybe even this new one that came out just shortly thereafter, Heaven is for Real for Kids. Here's a version specifically for kids. We're going to use this book, use this story of what happened to this boy, and we're going to use that to explain to our kids what heaven is all about. What I want you to know this afternoon, and you probably knew this before you even got here, is you don't need a Hollywood motion picture, and you don't need a New York Times best-selling book in order for you to know that heaven is for real. And you certainly don't need to use a book like that to convince your kids of what heaven is all about. You've got something way better already. You've got the Bible, the bestseller of all time. And I do believe that when we use the Bible, we can find some things that we can tell our kids about heaven. And to be able to tell them about heaven in a way that they can grasp and that they can understand. And I realize that that is a tall order when you talk about that. There's some things about heaven that that are difficult for any of us to grasp. It doesn't matter how old you are, what your maturity level is. You know, if somebody has a real easy way to explain a concept like eternity, timelessness, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear that explanation. I'd love to be able to understand all of that. I'm thinking there's a lot of us that could use some understanding and and, and better explanations about what heaven is going to be out all the ins and outs of that. Heaven's not the easiest subject to discuss. But while we recognize that there are some things about heaven that are hard to explain, there are, by that same token, lots of things that we do know about heaven. Some things that we can understand about heaven and some things that we certainly can and must be talking about with our kids, aren't there? What we then need to be doing, moms, dads, grandmas, granddads, people of influence is we need to be laying aside the the fairy tales, the the books that come out, the movies that are produced, all the things that Hollywood and big businesses and corporations are using to try to just make money off of. Instead, what we need to do is we need to get away from that, get away from the myths and the fairy tales, the commonly held belief that heaven's about having a pair of wings and strumming a harp up on a cloud somewhere. Instead, what we need to do is just get into the Scriptures, see what the Bible says about heaven, and then try to find the very best way to articulate those things to our young ones. Because, of course, our hope is, isn't it? Our hope is is that we will be be able to articulate those things to our kids and as they grasp the greatness and the wonderfulness of heaven, that ultimately when the time comes, they will want to go to heaven. That they will respond in obedience to the grace and the mercy that's been shown by Jesus Christ to do the things that they need to do in order to make heaven not just a dream, not something they just imagine about, but to make it a reality someday. And so then, let me set before you this afternoon, I want to give you three very basic truths about heaven that, first of all, we need to make sure that we understand, but things that we can then impart to our children. I'll try to give you some things along the way that may help you uh, think about in terms of, of getting on the level of our kids. Number one, the very first thing that we want to make sure that we talk to our kids about when we talk about heaven is we want to emphasize that heaven is a real place. If you were to ask most kids, in fact, if you were to just ask most anybody to draw a picture of heaven, what are you going to get? I'll tell you what you're going to get. You're going to get this right here. That is, you could probably just maybe put one of those little copyright symbols next to it. That is the officially designated picture of heaven in most people's minds, isn't it? It's the idea of kind of being there on the clouds. You've got the wings and you've got the halo over your head. You just turn into an angel and you get to... You get to be in heaven up there in the clouds. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. Why is heaven just all about the the clouds to us? Maybe some of that is because the Bible does talk about heaven in in an upward way. We just sang that song, I'm pressing on, the upward way. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when He's feeding the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 19, that He looked upward when He offered thanks before they began to eat. Or even in Acts 1 and verse 9, whenever Jesus ascended, He ascended ascended upward. And the apostles, they looked up in the sky and watched Him as He went. So, So I get that. I get that kind of that upward look. We're looking to the sky sort of thing. But unfortunately, what that's come to mean for a lot of people is, well, it's just the equivalent of, well, heaven's just the equivalent of just standing around on a cloud all day. And as a result, that that just doesn't seem like a very real place to us, does it? It seems like imagination. It seems unreal. It seems like a phantasmic sort of mirage. It just seems fake. And we need to do better than that. We need to do a whole lot better than that. What we need to tell our kids is the same thing that the Bible says about heaven. And that is that heaven is a real, genuine place. And so then we think about that passage that we just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul describes it as the third heaven. He talks about that as being an actual place where he or somebody went to that place. Furthermore, let's look at the book of Revelation in Revelation 29, or Revelation 21, excuse me. In Revelation chapter 21, instead of heaven being described as a bunch of water vapors and standing around on clouds, we're told in Revelation 21 and in verse 10, we're told there, Revelation 21:10 that He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Look at the terms that John uses there. John's privileged to to see some things, maybe kind of a preview of heaven, if you will. And the terms that are used there, great high mountain, referred to as a city, an actual place that you can go to. Maybe the most famous of these kinds of passages will be in John 14. Let's look at John 14, please. In John 14, this is Jesus talking about heaven. And I want you to notice how Jesus, He really describes heaven in very real sorts of terms that kids, I think, are going to be able to wrap their heads around. In John 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says these words to to reassure His apostles. He says, "...let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you?" Think about that, that heaven is the place of Jesus' Father, a house with many rooms. How about that? That That's an image we can relate to. you got a house that you live in. Does it have rooms in it? Your kids can grasp that. Heaven's kind of like that. Let's go back to Revelation now. Look in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, this is the letter that Jesus sends to the church at Ephesus. Look at the term that he uses there in Revelation 2 and in verse 7. Revelation 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is where? Which is in the paradise of God. That's a portrait, that is paradise, a portrait of a, of a beautiful garden, this, this amazing, beautiful place, the kind of place that we can picture, at least attempt to picture in our minds. How about one more in this connection? In Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, this is probably my favorite description of heaven. The Hebrew writer describes here, as he's talking here about all these wonderful people of faith, Moses, Abraham, etc. He says in verse 16, in Hebrews 11 and in verse 16, he says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. There's the use of that term city once again, but I just love, I love the use of that idea of a country. That's a real, tangible place, a place that you can go. Now, maybe right here as we've kind of compiled all of this, maybe this is as good a place as any for me to say a word here about how in heaven we're going to have a real body. That we will not be, as is so commonly believed, we will not be ghosts. You think about that picture that I put up a second ago. That's usually the picture of A kind of ghost just floating around on the top of a cloud. Well, where exactly did that idea ever come from? Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks here about the resurrection. And he says about that in verse 44. 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 44, Paul says here, he says... He says, it is, actually let's just back up to get verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Verse 44. Now, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, I don't know everything about that body. I'm going to guess nobody here knows everything about that body. But we are going to have a spiritual body, Paul says. And maybe this is a good place to just also interject as well that that means we're not going to become angels. You know, that's common in those pictures. That's common sometimes even in people's language. You know, grandma passed away. She's now an angel. The Lord took her home and made her an angel. She's an angel in the clouds. No, grandma did not become an angel. Angels are a completely separate order of created beings. And we need to help our kids understand that. Look in Hebrews chapter 1. My daughter just. Get a verse to emphasize that. In Hebrews 1 and in verse 14, the Bible says there, Hebrews 1, 14, are they not all ministering spirits, talking about angels there, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The last part of that verse is talking about us. first part of that verse is talking about angels. You don't become an angel. Angels were created by God to serve Him and also to serve us, to help us in our journey toward heaven. We will be given our own spiritual bodies so that we can live in that real, tangible place called heaven. Now, naturally, as we talk about these things with our kids, kids are going to have questions. Hattie's two years old. She's not yet at the point where she's asking questions about that. She's still just kind of starting to learn the word God and those sorts of things. But I've taught Bible classes with kids that are in that age that ask questions about that. Do the Bible drill with the kids and they're always interrupting me wanting to ask these kinds of questions. Kids are going to have those kinds of questions. And you know what? That's good. That's wonderful that they're going to want to know more. And not just children. We all want to know more. Of course, we need to just understand we're not going to be able to comprehend everything we'd like to know about heaven. We're not ready for spiritual bodies. We're not ready for a spiritual country. The Bible just uses those kinds of terms to give us something that we can can relate it to. For example, think about think about a bunch of ants on the ground. And a bunch of ants show up to an airport. What do ants see when they come to an airport? You can imagine maybe a little baby ant describing these events to their their mama ant or daddy ant. You're not going to believe it, mama. What I saw today, I saw this big gigantic silver bird and it swallowed all these people and it flew away. Well, of course, for an ant, yeah, sort of. That's kind of what it's like. And you know what? The same really goes for us as well whenever we try to describe heaven. From our very limited perspective, we're going to have some troubles with that. We are human. We are all about the the, the physical, what we can see and touch and smell. We are finite in that respect. And there's no doubt heaven's going to be very, very different in some ways. In fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see there that the Corinthians, they were having some trouble with all that, or at least Paul figured they were going to have some trouble with this spiritual body stuff. And so he says, if you back up to verse 37, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 37, he says there, he says, What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. The idea here, the analogy here, is that of a a seed. Let me ask you, can someone who's never seen a watermelon in their life, someone who has no frame of reference of what a watermelon is or what it looks like, can someone look then at a watermelon seed and say, oh yeah, when you put that in the ground, I know exactly what that's going to be. It's going to be this big round green thing. It's going to have stripes inside. It's going to be red. And it's going to have all these seeds. Would you get that just from looking at the seed? Of course not. You're not going to know that. In much the same way, Paul says, we're kind of just looking at this seed right now. This seed that's labeled spiritual body. And we're not entirely sure what that's going to be like. But it seems to me that the Bible is saying that there's going to be at least some correspondence between what we have now and what we're going to have then. In Revelation 6, for example, you notice there in Revelation... John is privileged to see, really, I wonder how much money we would give to see the things that John saw in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 6, John sees these people who have given their lives for the cause of Christ, these martyred souls under the altar. And so he describes them in in Revelation 6, beginning in verse 9. He says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, again, I, I don't understand everything about that. I don't understand everything about these heavenly bodies, but... What John's describing here apparently did not look so different, so completely out of the ordinary that John says, it looked like a bunch of aliens down there. Man, the stuff I saw, it was just crazy. It was wild what I saw. That's not what John says. John says, yeah, these people seem to have some capacity for, for speech and for knowledge and for recognition. He recognized them. There's some correspondence to the things that are to come and the things that are Now, the Bible draws some comparisons between this world and the heavenly realm that is to come. And if there was no basis for those comparisons whatsoever, then then the Bible wouldn't make those comparisons. You know, when I say that gasoline is like water, you understand what I mean by that, don't you? I'm not saying that gasoline is the same thing as water. Don't go putting water in your gas tank. That's not going to work well. But you understand when I say gasoline is like water, you understand I mean that, yeah, they do share some similarities. And so in the same way, we don't want to make heaven into sounding like it's some kind of a physical place, you know, telling little Johnny, hey, good news, in heaven you'll get to just play Xbox all day long and you'll get to just, you'll play football for eternity and you can eat all the cookies you want and never get fat. Don't want to give that kind of picture to our kids. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. But there is some comparison to be made between our physical bodies and our heavenly bodies. This physical world and the spiritual world yet to come. In that regard then, then maybe the term here as I think about all these different biblical terms, maybe the best term of all of these is that one from Hebrews chapter 11. That term country. I really like that. Think about heaven as a, as a country. You know, I've never been to Australia. And I'm sure that things in Australia are very, very different than they are here in Kentucky. I don't think we have. I think if you went back there in the woods, you wouldn't find kangaroos or koala bears or anything like that. Lots of very different things going on in Australia. But you know what? The fact that I've never been to Australia doesn't mean that Australia isn't real. And the fact that it's a very, very different place from the place that I'm, is a, that I'm accustomed to, again, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist or that it's somehow ghostly, a bunch of people you know, floating around on the top of clouds. And so what we want to say to our kids is, is we want to say one day, one day we're going to go to a new country. One day we're going to move to an entirely new place. We're going to a new country that is very, very real. It is as real as Kentucky or Australia. And you will really be you in that heavenly country. And maybe one of the things we can say in connection with that about heaven is that, yeah, it's going to be a beautiful country. Look at Revelation 21 again. Notice the language John uses here. And John uses this kind of language all throughout the book. You see, we get these previews, these glimpses of heaven. In Revelation 21 and in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, notice this, As a bride adorned for her husband. When you go to a wedding ceremony, what's the big moment? What's the big moment at the wedding ceremony? It's when the music plays and everybody stands and they all turn and look to the double doors and those doors come open and and the bride comes marching out. And what's everybody's reaction when they see that? Everybody, "Oh, oh, wow! She's so beautiful. Look at her. And you know what? That's the picture of heaven. That it is a beautiful place. It would take our breath away for us to be able to see it with our own eyes. That's the picture of heaven. In fact, if you keep reading throughout the book of Revelation, it speaks of all those things like the precious stones and and the jewels and the gold and all those sorts of things. And the amazing way in which it's all just put together. Heaven is God's home. And it should be no surprise that it would be a beautiful and wonderful place. And the good news is is it can be our home too. And we want our kids to know about that. We want our kids to know what an amazing and awesome place heaven's going to be. Eventually, though, eventually though, kids are going to ask the question. This is probably the question I've come across more than any other when you talk to kids about heaven. They're going to ask, what are we going to do there? What are we going to do in heaven? And, of course, we all know the canned, appropriate response, don't we? What are we going to do in heaven? Well, in heaven, we're going to worship God. We're going to sing and praise and worship God throughout all eternity. Well, when you're seven and all of your experiences of sitting in church and singing and worshiping God usually result in you getting restless and then that ultimately culminates in being drug out to the back and having your hind end wore out. The idea of sitting in heaven for an endless church service... Nah, that just doesn't sound all that great, does it? That just doesn't sound like anything I would really be interested in. And Of course, when you put it that way, no. For some people, it's just not going to sound all that great. Now, let me just say here, is there going to be worship in heaven? Absolutely. There's just no way around that. There's no doubt about it. all the things that we read there in Revelation, those wonderful scenes, talking about the you know the, the twenty four elders and they're already worshiping God. And the idea of us assembling around the throne of God, singing his praises throughout the ages. For many of us, that's stuff we're looking forward to. There will be worship in heaven. But I don't believe that's just gonna be the only thing going on in heaven. In fact, look in Revelation nineteen, just maybe turn back a page. In Revelation 19, here's maybe a little bit different angle of what heaven's going to be like. In Revelation 19, look at verse 9. The angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. i sure that. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The picture of heaven here is that, it's, is that it's a celebration. It's a celebration feast or dinner, if you will. It is this big, joyful gathering. You know, do, do you like the sound of that? I, know that? I know that I do. And I think our kids will enjoy the sound of that. That heaven will be a place of jubilation, rejoicing, and celebration. Now, we want to always be careful here when we talk about that. Don't want to give off the impression that heaven's just going to be play all of the time. Going to go fishing in heaven. Going to go hunting. You know, Going to go golfing. And you get to make a hole in one every time in heaven. No. <laughs> it's not what heaven's going to be about. What we want to emphasize to our kids, secondly, is that heaven is wonderful because God is there. In fact, I think this is probably the most important thing I'll say all afternoon. That is the central truth about heaven that is repeated again and again and again throughout Scripture. You see that in the Old Testament. You see it all the way through the New Testament. Which means that in heaven, we will get to be with the Lord. If you're still in Revelation, go to 21 again. Chapter 21. Just read that verse a second ago in the first two verses there about the bride being adorned for her husband. What a beautiful thing that'll be. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. We get to be with God the Lord. That's what makes heaven so great. We get to do the very thing that human beings were created for, and that is to dwell with our God. The God who created us and the God who loves us just so very, very much. Jesus makes that very point in John 14. Would you go back there? Again, we we read the first couple of verses there. Jesus talks about His Father's house, many rooms. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Look at the very next verse. John 14 verse 3. John 14 verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's it. That's what heaven is all about. And sometimes I'm afraid that we make heaven into the wrong thing. We think of heaven maybe as the big retirement home in the sky where we just get to kind of relax and just kind of do leisurely stuff throughout the ages. Sometimes I'm afraid we get all caught up in this idea of heaven as the the big mansion over the hilltop. I want a gold one that's silver lined. Friends, that ain't it. Those are beautiful descriptions, but that ain't what it's about. Heaven is about being with the Lord. That's way more exciting than fishing or hunting or golfing for all of eternity, isn't it? You think about this. And this is where we want to get kind of on our kids' level here. Think about what it's going to be like to be with God. First of all, God made everything. You know, we'll sit and watch magicians, maybe go to a magic show. And we'll watch magicians for maybe hours on end make stuff disappear and reappear and do all kinds of sleight of hand and trickery and so forth. But what's going to happen when we are in the presence of the One who created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see and know simply by His Word. What's that going to be like when we get to watch God work? And it's not a trick with God. He can really do it. Furthermore, not only God make everything, God, God knows everything. There isn't anything that God doesn't know. God knows all about, for example, God knows all about history i got a bunch of history questions I'm wanting to ask God about. You know, whatever happened to the city of Atlantis? You always hear about the loss? How do you lose a whole city? What in the world's that all about? Or you know, God knows all about nature. Lots of us have questions about nature. I'm wanting to know about Bigfoot. Is there, was there a Sasquatch Lord? What about that? Tiffany, usually during February, this is when this usually happens, that's when mating season is going on for skunks. So if skunks are out and about, and sometimes they end up becoming roadkill and we're driving down the road and we smell the awful smell that skunks give off and Tiffany always asks, what are skunks for? I want to ask God what skunks are all about. Well, God knows the answers to all of that stuff and a zillion other questions that we have. And in heaven we'll have the opportunity to be with God and to learn directly from the source. And that's incredible. There's never been anyone as interesting or amazing or as intelligent or as powerful as Almighty God. And in heaven, we will be by His side literally. We get to be with the Lord. We just can't stress that enough to our kids. You know, the reason that it gets quiet whenever we talk about this idea of going and being with the Lord, the reason that maybe we just kind of We kind of lean in a little closer whenever a speaker gets up and starts throwing out the idea of being in the presence of God. The reason we do that is because we want that. We want to be with the Lord. It is what we were made for. And we need to tell our kids about that. You know, just just maybe ask your kids sometime. If you had the opportunity to have dinner with anybody, you're going to have an evening to get to have dinner with anybody of your choosing, anybody past or present who's ever existed. Who would you have dinner with? Maybe your kids would say a you know, famous athlete or a celebrity or maybe uh, maybe it is a family member, maybe a family member that's you know that's, that's deceased and is no longer living. Uh, anybody in the whole wide world you can have dinner with. Then you, what you want to say next is you want to say, what do you think about having dinner with the Lord? What would that be like and how would that compare to having dinner with with an earthly person. You know, you have dinner with a human being, eventually, eventually you're going to find out things about that other person that ah, you don't like so much. And eventually that other person is going to find things out about you that they don't like so much. And even if that dinner is going really, really well, eventually the dinner's going to come to an end, isn't it? It's going to stop. You're going to have to get up. you have to go home. You're going to have to go your separate ways and all that sort of stuff. But with God, the idea of having dinner with God, oh, just the opposite. You will never, ever find something out about God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit that you don't like. And you know what? You don't have to worry about the Lord finding something out about you that He doesn't like. The Lord knows everything about you and He loves you anyway. And the great thing about God having dinner with Him, it doesn't end. There's not, uh-oh, got to get home, got to get... it. No, that's not going to be that way with the Lord. It just goes on and on. We'll never run out of time with God. We just get to be with the Lord, get to know God better, get to watch God work, get to be around Him, get to be with God every single day of eternity. Now, I don't care who it is you'd invite to dinner. It wouldn't compare to being with God. Heaven's wonderful because God's there. And we need to reiterate that to our kids because that's the thing I think that makes heaven more special than any other place. Maybe the final thing we really want to spend some time talking to our kids about with heaven is that heaven is special because heaven's just all good all the time. You know, one of the ways we can help our kids understand this important truth is actually by talking about some of the things that heaven is not. Talking about it from the negative standpoint. We may not understand everything about what heaven is, but there are some things that God has specifically stated will not be in heaven. So, for example, if you go back to Revelation again, look in Revelation chapter 7. Here's a little bit of a list that's enumerated for us of some things that you're not going to find in heaven. In Revelation 7, beginning in verse 14, I said to him, Sir, you know... Okay, you asked this question, you know, who are all these people with their, their, their robes of white? I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Man, that's, that's powerful language, isn't it? Those words are so very comforting. Look further in Revelation. In Revelation 21 again. In Revelation 21, look toward the end of the chapter now. In Revelation 21, pick up in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse 1 now. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. What wonderful, wonderful words. Can I maybe just condense this down to maybe just three easy ideas for your kids? First of all, we want our kids to understand that there will be no reason to ever be afraid of anything ever again in heaven. Children today have so much to be afraid of. It breaks my heart that kids today, they have to be worried about things like stranger danger, that they have to know how to dial 911 on the telephone, that we have to explain to them why they put metal detectors in the schools. We wonder, what kind of world are we living in? Well, I'll tell you what kind of world we're living in. We're living in a world that is terribly wicked. A world that is full of sin and evil of every kind. Where evil people will often prey on the weak and the helpless. And who in our world is the most weak and the most helpless? it would be children, wouldn't it? But there'll be none of that in heaven. No need to worry about that kind of thing in heaven. Not going to need to to lock your door at night in heaven. There'll be no need for policemen in heaven. We appreciate the work that law enforcement do, but we're not going to need them in heaven. Won't need to have to worry about having that that carry-concealed weapon license thing anymore. Nothing to ever be afraid of in heaven again. Not only that, but these verses we've read in Revelation, they remind us that there'll be be no death in heaven. Death, of course, is the great separator. Tears our loved ones away from us. Tears our loved ones away from our children. You know, we sing that wonderful song, No Tears in Heaven. And what a promise that is. You think about that. You think about just in the life of your kids, who all have they been separated from, who has been taken away from them, maybe even at a very young age? I wish my daughter Hattie, could have had the opportunity to know her brother Ben, my brother ben. ben would have been her uncle Ben, my brother Ben was he was such an amazing person, he was so talented, he was so smart, he would have been the guy being invited to spring lectures to be given lessons from the Word of God. But he was taken away. Taken away before she ever even had the opportunity to get to meet him or to get to know him. And I hate that. I hate death. It is the great enemy. But the truth of the matter is, if you live long enough, you're going to lose all your friends. You're going to lose all your family members. You're going to lose all your loved ones. Or they're going to lose you. If Jesus tarries, we are all going to die. And that's just the reality of life, Hebrews 9.27 tells us. We will say goodbye to the people that we love so very much. We'll shed those salty tears. We'll make that hard journey to the graveyard where the cemetery, where the stones are, are set. And your kids, they know that. It takes them a little bit of time to get that, but they know that and they see that. They see the pain that that causes and they themselves experience the pain of death. And what we want to tell them and emphasize to them is that in heaven, no more. We will never be separated by death again. We will never have to experience the grief and the sorrow of loss. We'll never have to say goodbye again. And furthermore, we'll never have to worry in heaven. No worries, no stresses of any kind. You know, I've thought about this. Kids, it seems unreasonable to us, but kids do have a lot of stuff to worry about. Maybe not on the same level of the kinds of things that we as adults worry about, like bills and jobs and deadlines and those sorts of things, but But kids do have a lot that they are anxious about. Standardized tests, homework, bullies, not being able to fit in with their friends, having the right kind of clothes that other people are going to accept. Will I even have people who will be my friends? There's lots going on in kids' lives. Lots that they're concerned about. Lots that they're they're worried about. I love the picture that's given of heaven in Revelation 14 verse 13. In Revelation 14 verse 13, look at what's said there. Revelation 14, verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. In fact, it's the Hebrew writer who kind of echoes that point in Hebrews chapter 4 and in verse 9, that heaven is likened unto the Sabbath, that it will be the rest for God's children. You get to heaven... God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of everything that you will possibly need. And I'm really not even sure what we're going to need in heaven, but I am sure of this. God's going to take care of that. Never have to worry about being made fun of. Never going to have to worry about, you know, fitting in with the right crowd of people, with the cool kids. Not going to have to worry about, am I ever going to be asked out on a date? There'll be none of that in heaven. Don't have to worry about gossip. Don't have to worry about drama. Don't have to worry about backbiting or bullying or any of that. No need to worry about money. No need to worry about a tornado ripping through and tearing our house to shreds. When I was a kid, I feared that and worried about that more than anything. Every time it stormed outside, I was so afraid our house was going to get demolished by a tornado and we'd be homeless the rest of our lives. In heaven, none of that. It's rest. Rest in the presence of God for the saved of all time. How great is that? You know, I've heard it said before, you probably have as well, that one of the things that makes hell, hell is the fact that God is not there. And that means that all of the good things that God is, grace, mercy, love, light, and joy, and all these wonderful attributes, all of those things will never be in hell. And that's absolutely true. But that means that the inverse of that is also true, isn't it? That all of that good stuff, grace, and mercy, and joy, and light, and peace, and all that stuff, that stuff will be in heaven. That's what's going to make heaven so great because heaven is a real place. Heaven is wonderful because God is the one who's going to be there. And heaven is all good all the time. Now, I could probably go on all afternoon, but my time is running short. This list could get way, way, way longer. As we talk about all the great things about heaven, the Bible shows us lots of other things about heaven. But we want to be talking regularly about these kinds of things with our kids. We need to talk about heaven not just whenever we sing those songs that say some things about heaven and then our kids come and they ask us questions about what exactly does that mean. And we need to talk about these things about heaven with our kids not just when somebody dies. It seems like that's when we want to have the heaven talk with our kids. Somebody dies, a loved one, and we go to the funeral and then that provokes a big conversation about heaven. Those are good times, but those should not be the only times. And we dare not let the world, Hollywood, whatever the latest bestseller is. We dare not allow those sources to feed our children some of the just blatant lies about heaven. Here's a little spoiler alert for those who haven't read the uh, Heaven is for Real book. the little boy claims to see horses, unicorns up there with rainbow-colored manes. Now, I'm not saying those things won't be in heaven. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't say anything about that. We don't want our kids to have their mind filled with things of the imaginary, the things that have come from the imaginations of mere human beings. And heaven is a whole lot more than just the standing around on a cloud holding a harp. We want to get our Bibles out. We want to help our kids to be looking forward to heaven, to want to go there. Because what we want to be able to say to our kids is that at the end of our story, that it really can be read, and they live happily ever after in the presence of God and with the redeemed of all time how about we pray about that let's go to God in prayer right now our dear gracious God we humble ourselves before you thanking you so much for this good day thank you for the beautiful weather and we thank you for just the opportunity to be together like this with people of like precious faith father we, we are so thankful for what you have given us in your word We're thankful for what You have revealed to us in Your Word about heaven, about Your dwelling place. And Father, while we sometimes maybe have more curiosities than we have answers, we're thankful that You showed to us what You did show to us. You've given us just enough that makes our hearts long to be there with You. Father, what we pray now is we pray that You'll help us to be able to take the truth that You've revealed in Your Word, help us to have wisdom, that we might be able to carefully articulate these ideas to the precious souls that are in our lives, to our children, to our grandchildren, to our nieces and our nephews and the young people that we come into contact with. Our desire, Father, is that they would not just be our children, but that one day they will be your children. Help us to instill these things in their hearts that they will desire to be with you someday. Pray that you'll be with all of us as we try to serve you on this earth because, Father, we do very much want to be with you in heaven. And if you should allow the world to tarry, we pray that you will use us as instruments to be able to, to have compassion toward the lost, to help make them mindful of the day of the Lord and to help people be ready for that great day so that we can all be with you in heaven for all of eternity. We thank you for your son Jesus that makes that possible and for all the blessings that come in and through him. And it's in his name that we offer this prayer and amen.